0: Congregation, turn with me for a moment to John 18, John 18, verse 37. John 18, verse 37. And here we have the the dialogue that was taking place between Pilate and between Jesus. Pilate says to him, "'Art thou a king, then?' Jesus answered, "'Thou sayest that I am a king.'" And then comes this remarkable statement, congregation. Read it carefully. To this end was I born. So Christ here defines for us the purpose of His incarnation. To this end was I born, He said. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth Heareth my voice. What a remarkable statement that is. So Christ is saying, My coming into the world, my being born, is the ultimate statement, the ultimate revelation of truth. I came into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. And so it should not surprise us that the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was shed forth on the day of Pentecost, is the Spirit of truth, because He is the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with God's help, we're going to look briefly, therefore, at Christ's remarkable statement about that Holy Spirit, whose outpouring we are commemorating today. And so we'll read again verses 13 through 15 of John 16. And there we read God's word in our text. Howbeit when he, and that is of course the comforter that's being mentioned in verse 7. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you." And so Christ is here speaking about the coming of the Spirit of truth. First of all, He will guide into all the truth. Secondly, verse 14, He will glorify Christ. He shall glorify me. And thirdly, He will take out of Christ and will show it unto us. So He will Bear witness to the truth, number one. Secondly, he will glorify Christ, of whom we have just read, to this end was I born, that I might bear witness to the truth. He will glorify Christ. And thirdly, he will take out of Christ, and he will show it unto us. And so, who is the Holy Spirit Boys and girls, did any of you ask your moms and dads that question today, on the day of Pentecost? Did you come home and ask, who is this Holy Spirit? There's something very mysterious about Him. We can relate to the fact that Christ became a man. We can relate to the stories of the Bible that tell us about His birth, His life, His suffering, His dying, His resurrection, even His ascension. We can relate to all of that. But the Spirit, the Spirit of God, as we saw this morning, also His coming was very unique. And of course, as we saw... There was something to hear and something to see that indicated that He had come indeed. But after all, He is a Spirit, a Spirit whom we cannot see. And yet that Spirit, as we saw this morning, that Spirit is so essential in the outworking of God's plan of redemption. So, for us us to understand also what Christ is saying about the Holy Spirit, what He is saying about Him as the Spirit of truth, we need to, just for a moment, and I know this is not easy, and I will do it slowly, but we need to focus for a moment on who is the Spirit within the Trinity? What is the role of the Spirit within the Trinity? Now, regularly we confess the doctrine of the Trinity, and we are learning again and again as we read the Athanasian Creed that of the Son, we read that He is begotten of the Father, but of the Spirit we read that He proceeds from both the Father and the Son. This is uniquely true of the third person of the Holy Spirit. This is not true of the Father, nor is it true of the Son. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And so what we need to understand, and I have to be brief here, in a few weeks we will be dealing with it in more detail when we consider Lord's Day 8, which deals with the Trinity. But let me just state as simply as I can. We need to think of the Trinity as this everlasting love relationship between the Father and the Son who are united in the very person of the Holy Spirit. And it is in the person of the Spirit that the Father lives in full communion with His Son. And it is in the Spirit that the Son lives in full communion with the Father. And so, all that dwells in the heart of the Father is communicated by the Spirit to His Son. And all that is in the heart of the Son is communicated by the Spirit to the Father. And I know this may sound difficult and profound, but let me just give you again a simple illustration. When two people are having a conversation, what happens? Well, when I have a conversation with someone, my thoughts are proceeding from me to the other person. I am communicating my thoughts to the other person. And the other person then responds, and so his thoughts, his words, proceed from him to me. And so we must think of that glorious relationship, that glorious Trinitarian relationship. Father and Son in perfect fellowship and communion in the very person of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who is the bond of love, the personal bond of love that unites the Father and the Son. And that has been and is an everlasting relationship. That's why God did not have to create to find fulfillment, God is eternally in His triune being. He is eternally and perfectly satisfied within Himself. What that means? That the Spirit who proceeds from the Father to the Son and from the Son to the Father, that means that He knows the heart of the Father and He knows the heart of the Son. He knows it perfectly and He knows it exhaustively. He knows it completely. He knows what dwells in the heart of the Father and of the Son. In other words, he knows the truth about the Father and about the Son. And he is the one, he is the person who communicates that truth. That's his special work, the work of communicating the truth. That's what Jesus is saying here, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come. And so the next question is what is truth? What is truth? The definition is actually quite simple. Truth is that which agrees exactly with reality. So for the little children, let me give you a very simple example. So when, in, when your first grade teacher tells you that one plus one equals two, and you come home, and you take one apple, and you add another apple, and you have two apples, you know that what your teacher told you is true. Because what your teacher said exactly agrees with how it really is. That's what truth is. We realize that in our fallen world, truth is a rare commodity. We know that ever since we have fallen in Adam, our life has become a lie. Our first parents believed that liar from the beginning, and he is the prince of this world— That's why we live in a world where people are either deceiving others or are being deceived. That's why it's so remarkable that in such a world where the lie dominates everywhere, and we know it even in our own society, how many of us are not entirely cynical about the news, who can can trust what they hear? That's a manifestation of our fallenness. And how amazing it is that in that fallen world, God has seen to it that the truth again is revealed. The truth first and foremost about Himself. And what's so beautiful about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it confirms not only... That God in Christ desires to be reconciled with fallen sinners like we are. But that in Christ and on the basis of His finished work, He wants to reveal Himself to us. He wants to make Himself known to us. He wants us to know the truth about Himself. That is the special work. Of the Holy Spirit, the special work of the Holy Spirit, the purpose for which He was poured out as the Spirit of the exalted Christ, is that fallen human beings might again know the truth about God, the truth about His glorious being. To acquaint fallen sinners with God's truthful record of Himself. That's why the words of Christ in response to Pilate were so profound. He's saying, this is why I came into the world. I have come forth into the world to bear witness to the truth that human beings, fallen human beings, might again know the truth about their Creator. That's why, of course, one of the reasons why one of the names of the Lord Jesus is the Word. He is the Word, the living Word of the Father. He is the ultimate revelation of the Father. And it's very clear from our passage that when we talk about truth, that that truth that the Spirit guides us into, that truth, of course, has everything to with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, that's the truth. God the Father wants us to know. That's why He sent His Son into the world. That's why He has given us the gift of His holy and precious Word. And so the goal of the Spirit of truth is to acquaint us with the God who made us, who created us, to acquaint us with His Word, to acquaint us with His truth. But above all, to acquaint us with His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to acquaint us with the glorious person of His Son, to acquaint us with all that Christ has accomplished in the fullness of time. To ultimately teach us the essential truth that the only way we can be reconciled with God, the only way we can be restored into His favor, is by means of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Christ, the Logos, the eternal living Word, He is the embodiment of God's truth. He is the ultimate revelation of God's truth. It is in Him that we know who God is. It is in Him that God has revealed Himself. Yet, in spite of the fact that He came in the fullness of time, that He came to become a man, were it not for the spirit of truth we would still not embrace the truth that is unveiled to us in the wondrous person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so very essential. It is only through His work and through His marvelous ministry that the truth regarding Christ, the truth regarding God's Son becomes a reality. It is only through His mighty and marvelous work that we will understand who God is, who we are as sinners, but also who the Lord Jesus Christ is as that divinely appointed mediator. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. That's why those words that they were pricked in their hearts are so significant. Because you see, That's what made all the difference. As you know, a few chapters later, when Stephen accuses the Jews of the very same crime that Peter accused them of, the result was that they stoned him to death because they were not pricked in their hearts. Their hearts were not circumcised. Their hard hearts, their hostile hearts, rejected the truth that Stephen was proclaiming. But on the day of Pentecost this vast multitude that gathered near the temple, these men and women who had been screaming on top of their lungs, crucify Him, crucify Him. These men and women who had shown such hostility towards the Lord Jesus Christ, they were pricked in their hearts. This spirit of truth, circumcised their hearts, opened their hearts, made those hearts receptive for His truth. That's why His ministry continues to be so absolutely essential until this day. That's why we must give thanks to God today for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why if we are believers by the grace of God, we have to be so deeply humbled that because of His work, we have embraced the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. It's because of His mighty work that that truth has become real about God and about ourselves, but also about His well-beloved Son. And so again, I want to emphasize how indebted we are, not only to the Lord Jesus Christ for what He has done by His finished and accomplished work, but how indebted we are to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And so He goes on to say, the Lord Jesus goes on to say, that that guiding into all the truth, by the way, one commentator suggests that word into is, is rather significant. In other words, He doesn't just unveil the truth. No, by His mighty work, He guides us into the truth. He makes that truth real. He makes that truth an experiential reality in our lives. But that guidance, that guidance into the truth, obviously, has a very special focus. It says, He shall glorify me. A simple And yet, such a profound statement. That's my congregation. No one can claim to have been wrought upon by this Spirit if Christ is not precious to them. This is His ultimate goal. This is His ultimate work his work as the spirit of the father and of the son his work is to glorify christ to bring glory to the father's only begotten son and that's why when he works savingly in the hearts of men this christ the christ of the scriptures the christ who died and rose again and has ascended on high, this perfect mediator between God and man. That's why this Christ will become so very precious. We can say that that's the reason why the Spirit of truth is ultimately the author of Scripture. And so why? Why? Why did the Spirit move these godly men throughout this 1600-year period? Why did He move them to record the Scriptures? Because He is the Spirit of truth. And so, what was the Spirit's objective in inspiring the written Word of God? His overarching goal in giving us this book is to bring glory to the living Word, to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why this book from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is ultimately all about the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate truth of this book. And so the spirit of truth leads us to the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. That's why we can only read God's Word profitably. Well, we always read it with that in mind. So when we read God's Word, we should always ask ourselves, how does this glorify Christ? And it's remarkable how that will open the Scriptures for us. And Christ Himself said it, all of these scriptures, all of them, this entire body of revealed truth, all of it testifies of me. And that should not surprise us, because those scriptures are inspired by the Spirit of truth. So we could say that our Bible is a glorious portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ, Our Bible is the Holy Spirit's written record of truth. It is the written record of the living Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the delight of that Spirit of truth? The delight of this comforter who comes alongside us to make God's Word real to us. That Spirit who opens the hearts of sinners to receive this truth. Oh, his delight is to guide us into the truth so that we come to a saving knowledge of him who is the way, the truth, and the life. It's his glorious work, is to so work in the hearts of sinners that we understand not only intellectually but that we understand experientially that Christ is the only way to the Father. That Christ is the ultimate truth about the Father. And that Christ is the one in whom we can live in fellowship and communion with the Father. It all revolves around Him. And it so pleases the Father. It so pleases the Father when His Spirit glorifies His Son. Because the Father loves His Son. And the Father aims for the glory of His Son. And the more His Son is glorified, the more the Father is glorified. He shall glorify me. That's why we as ministers of the gospel of such a sacred responsibility. That means our calling. Our calling is to so proclaim God's truth, to unfold God's truth, that the glory of Christ emerges. That the glory of Christ will shine forth from the pages of Holy Writ. That's our sacred calling. And we could say, When God calls men to the ministry, He calls them for one purpose. He raises us up to bear witness to His only begotten Son. And so, those who are called, who are called by God, and I hasten to add, I'm not saying that because I'm trying to draw attention to myself or my brother who is here, but I'm simply stating it as a truth. When a man is called by God, that means that the Spirit of truth will drive us to bear witness to Christ. A true and faithful servant of God is preoccupied with this Christ, has a burning desire. That's why Paul said, woe is unto me if I preach not the Gospel. Woe is unto me if I do not bear witness to this Christ. That's why when the scales fell from his eyes, and when suddenly he saw what he had not seen before, he saw the glory of the Christ he had persecuted. And so no, no, sooner, is he, no sooner does he walk out of that, that dwelling there in Damascus on that street that was called Straight, and, and straightway, it says, straightway he preached Christ. And the rest of his life, he could not be silent about Christ. Oh, he writes to the Corinthians, I have determined to know nothing else among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's why Philip, when he was called away from his flourishing congregation in Samaria, when he joins the chariot, when he hears that... Eunuch, that Ethiopian eunuch reading the Scriptures, the written Word, when he hears in reading Isaiah 53, then it says it so simply, and he preached unto him Jesus. That's it. And he preached unto him Jesus. That's why Jesus said Himself in John 7 verse 18, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true. And see, it is the Spirit of God who raises up his servants. It's the Spirit of God who equips his servants to bear witness to the truth. To proclaim the glorious name of Christ. To lift him up in all of his glory and beauty. In His preciousness as God's appointed mediator, and all that He has accomplished in His humiliation and His exaltation. And that spirit of truth, the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, nothing delights Him more as when we bear witness to Christ. That's His work. And so the spirit will join Himself... He will join himself to the preaching of Christ because that's what attracts him. That's what pleases him. That's why God remained silent and the three friends of Job were speaking. Because what was the problem? They were saying a lot of true things But it wasn't the truth. How do we know that? Well, God condemns them. What a damning indictment against those men. Twice, you can read it in chapter 42. He says, you have not spoken concerning me that which is right. You have not spoken the truth. You have misrepresented me. And therefore God was silent. But when... The youngest one, an Elihu, he says, I will yet speak on God's behalf. And he begins to present the truth. And when he speaks, all of a sudden there comes the whirlwind. There comes the visible sign of God's presence. Remember we saw this morning that the wind too is symbolic of the Spirit's presence. And then we see how God joins Himself to the testimony of Elihu. And we see this smooth transition from Elihu to God speaking because God could endorse what that man was saying. That's why we have such an extraordinary responsibility. That's why you need to pray for us as ministers of the gospel. You need to pray every Sunday that the spirit of truth Guide us into all the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. And the Spirit of Christ will equip us to lift up His name, to bear witness to His name, to proclaim Him in all His glory and beauty, to set Him before you in all His preciousness and all His loveliness, to offer Him freely in the gospel without money and price, to encourage you to come to Him again and again. That's His work. That's what that spirit of truth delights in. Because His work, Christ says, His work is to glorify me. That's why, though that spirit will circumcise our hearts... And open up our hearts. His goal is to bring us to Christ. And so the reason he convicts us of our sinnership, convicts us of our sin, of our unbelief, is because his goal is to glorify Christ. His goal is to bring us to Him. And that's the ultimate evidence of his saving work. The ultimate evidence that we have embraced His truth regarding Christ. The ultimate evidence is that we will take refuge to that Christ. That's how He works, savingly. And He makes this Christ so irresistibly attractive to our soul that we can no longer stay away from Him, that our heart will be drawn to Him. And that's why all conviction of sin that does not bring us to the feet of Christ is not the saving work of the Holy Spirit. You can can cry bucketfuls of tears, but if it doesn't bring you to Christ, it's not the work of the Holy Spirit. Oh, when He convicts us of sin when He confronts us with who we are in God's sight, when He shows us how spiritually bankrupt we are, when He teaches us what it means to have offended God, there's but one goal that moves Him to do so. Because without understanding that truth, you see, without understanding the truth of who God is, and without understanding the truth about ourselves… We will never rejoice in the truth of Christ, and that's his goal, a goal in which he will never fail. That's why Jesus said in John 6, 45, a couple weeks ago, I understand that student Skipper preached about that text, every man that has heard and learned of the Father cometh unto me. And how does the Father teach? By this Spirit, this Spirit of truth. His Spirit, whose work it is to glorify Christ, to take out of Him, and to show it unto us. That's why that same Spirit of truth, as He dwells in the heart of the believer, what's His goal? His goal is to sanctify us. He is a sanctifying Spirit who dwells in us. But the Spirit who dwells in us as believers is the Spirit of Christ, is this Spirit of truth. So, what is His goal as He dwells within us? What's His goal is to glorify Christ. So, what's the goal of sanctification? Sanctification is Christ likeness. And the more we resemble Christ, the more it pleases the Spirit of truth. And the more, of course, it pleases the Father. It pleases the Father when He beholds through the indwelling work of His Spirit, when He begins to behold in us a reflection of the glory of His Son. So that Spirit not only leads us to Christ for reconciliation, leads us to Christ for salvation, but that Spirit who unites us to Christ, who enables us to embrace Christ and to come to Christ, that Spirit then dwells within us to conform us to Christ. Because that's His work. The Spirit of truth is to glorify Him. That's why we grieve God's Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of truth. We grieve Him when we misbehave ourselves. We grieve Him when we act contrary to that truth. We grieve Him when we behave ourselves in such a way that we bring dishonor upon Christ, that grieves Him. And that's why God the Father who loves His Son, He will chastise His children and sometimes severely in order to bring us back on track spiritually. That's why that Holy Spirit, that Spirit of truth who dwells within us will labor restlessly in our soul to conform us to the image of Christ. Because That's how God made us. He created us in Adam. He created us in the image of His only begotten Son. And the ultimate goal of His redeeming work is to restore us to what He originally created us to be in Adam. And so it all revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ. So He will glorify me. Then, it says in verse 15, all things that the Father has are mine, therefore said I that he shall take of mine and he will show it unto you. By the way, this is one of those moments again where Christ gives us remarkable insight into that very special relationship within God's triune being where Christ clearly states that He and the Father are equal. He said, all things that the Father hath, that's quite a statement. All things that the Father hath, they are mine. Because Father and Son are equal. I and my Father are one, He says in John 10, verse 30. In 14, verse 10, He says, I am in the Father, and the Father in me. But in Colossians 1.19, Paul writes, For it pleased the Father that in Him, in His Son, in Him should all fullness dwell. So Jesus says, everything that my Father has is mine. But then this amazing statement, that the Spirit of truth, the Comforter, that Spirit of truth, He will take out of me, he will take of mine, and he will show it unto you. So not only is it the desire of the Holy Spirit to glorify Christ in all of his redeeming work, in all of his dealings with his children, but it's his desire that we become intimately acquainted with this Christ that we grow in the grace and knowledge of this Christ, that this Christ will become increasingly precious to us so that out of His fullness, as we read so beautifully in John 1, verse 16, that out of His fullness we may receive grace for grace. And we know that even the Apostle Paul who knew more about Christ than anyone who ever walked on the face of this earth, even he realized how very little he knew. How very little he knew. That's why when he talked about the riches of Christ, everything that is to be found in him, he called them the unsearchable riches of Christ. A congregation, what a a wonderful statement that is, because we have to realize that that Spirit of Truth will eternally guide us into all truth. God's redeemed people in glory will forever be indwelled by that Spirit of Truth, and that Spirit of Truth will eternally bear witness to God's Son, that Spirit will eternally equip us to see more and more of Christ. To think that that is a a journey that will never end. Never to all eternity will we ever be done with learning more about this Son of God. He is the Spirit of truth who will eternally what He already does here. That's why when God's children close their eyes and enter into glory, they will not be doing a strange work. Here, it is all very primitive. Even Paul said, we see through a glass darkly. We see through a glass dimly. Even Paul said, Oh, that I might know him, that I might know more of him and the power of his resurrection. He yearned to know more of him. Do you understand that, congregation? Is that the yearning of your soul? Is this Christ precious to you? Do you long to know more of him? you long to know, to grow in the grace and knowledge of that Christ. Because that's the ultimate evidence that that spirit of truth has also conquered your heart and renewed your heart. That's why a true believer is only happy in this life when by faith they may behold the glory and the beauty of Christ. That's why the true believer longs to know more of Him. That's why the true believer is always looking for Him. And so the ultimate way in which we can examine ourselves is what does this Christ mean to you, congregation? What does He mean to you? And I'm not talking about how... Advanced you are in the school of God's grace. But this all believers have in common. Because all true believers are wrought upon by that spirit of truth. All true believers are wrought upon by a spirit who leads into all the truth as it is in Christ. That spirit whose goal it is to glorify Christ. That spirit who takes out of Him. And shows it unto us. That spirit who makes Christ precious to our soul. Unto you that believe. Peter says he is precious. That's why the Lord Jesus got to the heart of the issue. In John 21. With Peter. Peter who had so misbehaved himself. said Peter do you love me? Peter do you love me? He asked them three times. Because you see, when that spirit of truth guides us into the truth, that spirit whose goal is to glorify Him when He works in us, we cannot but love this Christ. And this Christ becomes precious. That's why Paul made the bold statement in 1 Corinthians 16. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And so that's my question. How do we know whether the spirit of Pentecost has also transformed my life? How do I know that that spirit of Pentecost dwells in my heart? It'll be in answer to that question. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Has He become for you the chiefest among ten thousand? Has He become to your soul the altogether lovely one? Is He the Saviour that sits that fits your soul as precisely as a key fits a lock? That's how he works, you see. And so the expression that the Spirit of God makes room for Christ is a very legitimate statement. That's exactly what he does because by nature there is no room for him. By nature there is no room for the truth as it is in Christ. But when this Spirit gets a hold of us, and he works in us, he makes room and he so works in us that this Christ becomes the precise fit for my soul that this Christ becomes altogether lovely and altogether precious. And so the Spirit of truth has come. And the Spirit of truth continues His ministry until this day. Oh, let us pray fervently that that Spirit of truth, the Spirit of Christ... Who glorifies Him, that that Spirit may work abundantly in our midst, that that Spirit may work abundantly in our hearts, so that we too, we too will confess wholeheartedly, experientially, there is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose name is a name above every other name. So I ask you, what do you think of this Christ? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we give Thee thanks that we could gather here again today to commemorate the outpouring of the Spirit of truth, the, the blessed third person of the Trinity, Thy Spirit, the Spirit of the Father and the Son. And Lord, we pray that His work may continue mightily in our midst. We pray that the fruits and the evidences of that work could be seen among us. That by grace we would belong to those for whom that truth regarding Christ has become so very, very precious. Oh Lord, that we would consider the question we have laid before the congregation What do you think of Christ? For we know that the answer to that question will determine our eternal destiny. For if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, he is accursed indeed. And so remember us with our children. And Lord, we pray that also we as a congregation may be committed to this Christ, to his glory, that we would pray fervently, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, that thy truth may be proclaimed in such a way that his glory will shine forth through the ministry of the gospel. And so bless us, forgive us our sins, and grant it also in this coming week that by thy grace we could demonstrate by our very lives that we love this Lord Jesus Christ and that because we love him, we desire to walk in his ways, keep us from harm and danger, gather with us again this coming Lord's Day, and we pray for our dear brother who will bring thy word to us, that thou wouldst also give him a rich measure of the Spirit of truth, that he too may lift up the name of Christ among us. We ask it in his name. Amen.